Well, good evening, well, everybody, and welcome to uh, Pastor's Corner Live. We're glad that you're here tonight. Those of you that are uh, joining us out on Facebook Live, we're glad that you're here. Those of you that are here live with us, back in the back are some sermon notes. And so if you've not had a chance to grab one of those, raise your hands really high, and one of our guys will make sure that you have one of those. Darren, would you help with that real quick? Raise your hand really good. And we'll make sure that you've got one. Some of you may know I had the privilege to be able to serve in the United States Navy. And uh, part of my assignment was uh, with uh, the United States Marine Corps. And so I graduate from boot camp and I graduate from A school and I get my first duty station. And it's to the Marine Corps base in uh, Camp Pendleton, California. I have no idea why this Navy guy is going to Marine Corps base. And I go there and come to find out the, uh, the Navy provides medical personnel to the Marine Corps. And so I was attached after training to the 1st Marine Division as a FMF uh, hospital corpsman. And so not too long after that, I thought, well, I want to be good at what I do. If I'm going to be out with these guys, I want to make sure that I survive. And so I applied and was able to get into SEER school. And that's uh, the school that they send guys to that in case you ever find yourself uh, trapped behind enemy lines, you know how to survive and evade and you know how to resist and hopefully escape if you ever get captured. And so uh, that was a great experience and something that I enjoyed to be able to do. So if you take your Bibles tonight and turn to First Peter, which is where we're going to be tonight in First Peter chapter 4 in our study, in essence, what we have in these first six verses is Paul's explanation to us how that we can survive when we deal with persecution and we deal with suffering in this world as a result of our Christian faith. In this, in this chapter, in chapter 4, Peter's continuing to deal with this idea that as Christians, uh, we will face persecution and we will face suffering. And as a result of that, we have to make a choice. Are we going to allow that to make us better? Or are we going to allow that to make us bitter when we go through those situations? Now, what I found through the years in my, uh, my time as a senior pastor now, 20 some odd years, there's really three types of Christians when it comes to persecution and when it comes to suffering. The first type of, uh, type of Christian, when you ask about or you talk about the idea of persecution and suffering, they're like, uh, wait, wait just a minute. All right. There's, you, you, I'm not sure you've got the right information. OK, now I signed up for this Christian thing because I thought that was my free get out of hell card. I mean, that's all that I thought that this thing was. I really understood that uh, that it was going to be eternal life in heaven. As a matter of fact, when somebody asked me, do you want Jesus in your heart? And I said, yes, there was absolutely no mention about persecution and suffering. That's not what I signed up for. The only problem with that is, is that Jesus talks to us and talked to us in scripture about that fact. Take your Bibles really quick and turn with me to the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. Let's look at John chapter 15 and see what Jesus says about this idea of persecution and suffering for a Christian. John chapter 15, in verse 18, Jesus speaking says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Now look at verse 1 of chapter 16. He says, these things that I've just told you, these things I've spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. Now look down at verse 33 of chapter 16. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. 
In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. In other words, if you're going to live as a Christian, in other words, if you're going to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and live that out in your daily life, sooner or later, you're going to face persecution. You're going to face suffering in this world if you're going to live for it, because this world doesn't believe the things that we understand to be true. So that's one type of Christian that you'll find. Another kind of Christian, when you talk about this idea of suffering and you talk about this idea of persecution, they're like, oh yeah, I definitely believe that. I definitely believe that that's something that happened in the first century. I definitely believe that that's something that happens to Christians that live over there in those countries where there's all, all those that don't believe in God. But boy, that is nothing that happens in the United States of America. Well, did you read the headlines this week? One of the headlines, if you did, said, State lawmaker criticized for disrespectful prayer before Pennsylvania's first female Muslim rep sworn in. Here's what that story reported. Stephanie Borowitz is a member of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives. When she was asked to deliver the invocation at a house session recently, she prayed to Jesus in the name of Jesus. She mentioned our Lord's name more than 12 times and gave thanks that President Trump has stood beside Israel unequivocally. Her prayer has been roundly condemned. One critic claimed that during her invocation, prayer was weaponized. A Muslim lawmaker who was inducted into the house that day alleged that her prayer blatantly represented the Islamophobia that exists among some leaders. She called on the General Assembly to censor Barowitz. Numerous media outlets are carrying the story and criticizing Borowitz for praying so overtly in the name of Jesus. However, few are reporting that a Muslim cleric followed her Christian prayer by praying in Arabic and quoting the Quran. Man, I believe that there's persecution, but it's happening over there in those other countries, in those other things. It could never happen here. The third kind of Christian that I've run across are those that say persecution and suffering when it comes to Christendom. Pastor, I believe it. Pastor, I'm seeing it. Pastor, I'm waking up to the fact. I'm recognizing that. So, Pastor, how can I live in a society that is dealing with that? Maybe it's not like the persecution that's happening in other countries, but nevertheless, it's the only kind of persecution that I've experienced. Pastor, how do I live better and not bitter? Well, that's exactly what Peter is talking to us about in this chapter, in this book, First Peter. He's talking to us. And he's talking to people, he's talking to Christians that are living in a society that, that uh, are against what they believe. They're against their salvation. They're scattered throughout Asia Minor or what we would call modern day uh, Turkey. And they're uh, trying to live life. They're trying to figure out how to navigate through a daily activity when they're experiencing the persecution that they are. And so in, t in essence, what we have here in 1 Peter chapter 4 is a seer school. It's some teachings, it's some things that, that Peter's going to give us so that we understand how to survive and how we're able to deal with the situation that we find ourselves in so ultimately we can choose to live better and not bitter. So tonight we're going to be dealing with the first six verses of 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's begin reading in verse 1. I'm just going to read the first six verses and then we'll kind of uh, deal with those individually. It says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh 
has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer from the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they were judged in the flesh of men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. So here's some training. Here's some teaching. Here's some things that Peter has given us so that we can live better and not better in the midst of persecution and suffering in the world. And the first thing that he teaches us in the midst of this situation is a preparation that equips us to endure suffering. A preparation. There's something that we can do. There's some preparation we can take. There's some things that we can put into practice that will equip us to endure suffering. It's found there in verse 1. He says, therefore. Now, we always ask ourselves what question when we see the word therefore. What is it therefore? In essence, what Peter is saying here, he says, in light of. As a result of, therefore, as a result of what it is that I've just taught you, what it is that I've just explained to you, therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same purpose. Okay, we're supposed to arm ourselves with the same purpose, but therefore, what has Peter just talked to us about? What has Peter just explained to us that helps us understand how it is to arm ourselves? I shared with you last week that 2,000 years ago, as we're going to be celebrating here in a few weeks on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday, that Jesus Christ went to Golgotha, and it was there on that hill that he suffered what is probably the most terrible but yet the most terrific death that a person has ever experienced. It was terrible. A totally righteous man in whom there was absolutely no sin was unjustly convicted and unjustly tortured and unjustly murdered for the human race that was unjust, unrighteous, and steeped in its own sinfulness. But how terrific it was that Jesus was willing to go through that for each and every one of us. It was terrible on his side, but it was terrific on our side. On the cross, Christ endured his greatest suffering, but he accomplished his greatest triumph. So the next time that you're dealing with persecution or the next time that you're dealing with suffering as a result of your faith, you can understand that you do so in very good company. You do so in the ability that you have an example to follow. You have an understanding of what you can do so that you're able to endure this and get through it the way that God did. Turn back over to chapter 3 and verse 18. And let's remind ourselves of that verse that we studied pretty intently last week. This example of how that we can be equipped to deal with our suffering and persecution in verse 18. It says, Christ also died for sins once for all. The just, speaking of Jesus Christ, the one that was without sin, the just, he died once and for all for the unjust. That's referring to us. That's referring to those of us that are dead in our trespasses and sin, that there's none righteous, no, not one. This just one, he died for the unjust so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive 
in the Spirit. And from this verse last week, we talked about how that meant that Jesus died vicariously. That Jesus died in our place. That he was paying for something that we couldn't pay for ourselves. In other words, Jesus died a death that was substitutionary. It was in our place. He died a death that was sufficient. He died a death that could pay for something we could not pay. He he died a death that was absolutely successful. He paid once and for all the payment that had to be paid. He paid once and for all something that we could not pay for ourselves. And he paid it through his sinless life and his precious blood. That's why we sing that song that we sang last week. You remember? Jesus paid it all. Sing it. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Why was he able to do that? Because he was the perfect Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so here in chapter 4, with that in mind, that's what Peter is referring back to. Therefore... He's referring back to this that he's taught us up until this point. Peter is calling Christians to strengthen their resolve to unwavering firmness like a soldier entering into battle. Recommit yourself. Refocus yourself into the fact that even if you're going to go through persecution and suffering because of your faith, be prepared, be equipped, just like a soldier is equipped and ready to go into battle because of their training. Peter's saying, I want you to be equipped and ready to deal with those things just like a soldier. Listen to what he says there in verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves. Hoplizo is the Greek word that we find there, and it literally means to equip with arms as would a chariot or a ship. To arm oneself or take up arms. In other words, Peter's saying if you want to live bitter and not, uh, or excuse me, if you want to live better and not bitter, then in the world in which you live, understand you're going to face persecution. Understand you're going to face suffering as a result of living out for God. So what you have to do is you've got to arm yourself. Just like you would arm a chariot. Everybody knows how to arm a chariot, right? No? Just like you would arm a battleship back in those days. You know how to do that, right? No? What about arming a a, a United States war plane? Anybody have any idea how to do that? Well, it looks something like this. This is, what, this is the picture that we have right there. That's a bad-looking machine right there, isn't it not? I, I don't think I want to be on the receiving end of that armed piece of machinery right there, okay? That is a bad thing. You don't want to get in the way of that. That's what Peter is talking about right here. He's saying the same way that a military arms itself to be able to defeat what is coming at it. Christian, you have to be prepared. You have to arm yourself. You have to do the things necessary to be prepared for battle just like a fighter jet is prepared for battle. And so Peter doesn't just leave us hanging here. He doesn't just say, be prepared. Okay, have a good night. Let's have prayer and be dismissed. He gives us the way to make sure that we're prepared to do these things. And this is what he includes. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves, be prepared, have the weaponry necessary. And also, here's what you arm yourself with, also with the same purpose. Arm yourself with the same thought. Arm yourself with the same resolve. Arm yourself with the same mind 
of Christ. This is what he's saying in this passage of scripture. He's just gone back and said, you remember this Christ that died on the cross once and for all for you? This Christ that endured what he did so that you could have eternal life. If you're going to deal with suffering, he's your example. If you're going to know how to deal with persecution, he's your example. And by the way, there was a reason he was able to endure what he endured and not give up and not quit. It's because he had the right frame of mind. He had the right thought. He had the right understanding of what it was that God had put him here on this earth to do. And that was to go to the cross and to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin that we could not pay for ourselves. And he followed through with that because he had the right frame of mind. Now, how in the world do we keep the right frame of mind when it comes to completing what we need to so that we can endure the persecution and the suffering that we may go through because of our faith? And I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, it starts with our salvation. Naturally, we're talking to Christians. But what we have to do is we have to make sure that we are in the word of God. If we're not in the word of God, if we're not digesting the word of God, if we're not inhaling the word of God into our life, if we're not doing those things, we're not going to understand what the mind of Christ is. We're not going to understand what his thoughts are or what his reasoning is about the things that we're going to be facing. We may know what Larry Renault's thoughts are because he's our ABF teacher. We may understand what Pastor Galen's thoughts are because he shares it with us on Wednesday night in Bible study. But we're not going to have any idea what we understand our thoughts should be if we're not in the word of God and making sure we're learning from that as well. So when is the, or what is the last passage of scripture that you've inhaled or memorized or put into your thinking so that you'll be able to, to think on those things throughout as you go, as you go throughout your day? What's the, what, what's the last passage of scripture that, that, that you've memorized that you've hid in your heart so that you'll not sin against God? Philippians 3, okay. So you want to share that with us, Leslie? Okay, let's get a microphone. What, what, what passage is that? What, what passage have you memorized? You got one? The Living Lake. So it's our focal passage for this year. So share that with us. Is it on? Yep. Okay. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing that I do. I press on toward, no. Forgetting what lies behind. Okay. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. <laughs> this is not easy. It is I not easy. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, also have this attitude, and if, any, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Very good job. Excellent. All right. Wow. 
So Kendall, don't go anywhere. Kendall's running the AV booth back there for us. Kendall's one of our deacons. And so uh, uh, I'm going to put him on the spot here. At a men's breakfast a few months ago uh, at Christmas time, he was saying how that he was always blessed because a tradition that his, his dad did is he always read John 1 as part of their Christmas Eve. And he was going to make a commitment to memorize John chapter 1, 1 through 18. I think that's what you told us, right? Well, then come right up here, brother, and let her fly. Now we learn if I retained it. Yeah, here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made, that has been made. Um. In him was life. In him was life, and the life was the light of God. And the light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, so that others might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which was coming into the world... No, I'm sorry. The true light was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. He came to his own, and yet his own did not know or did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the Word became flesh. And the word be- uh, yeah, and the Word became flesh, sorry. and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory of the glory of the only Son of the Father. This is this is John, this is he who John spoke of, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes before me ranks, no, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For we have, uh, for we have all received grace upon grace. For through Moses, uh, for through Moses, uh, we received the law, and through Jesus, uh, no, and and grace and truth came to us through Jesus. For no one has seen God, the only God, which is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Bang! Good job, dude. That is awesome. That is really good. Really good. What are we doing with these verses? Why is it that we're struggling with these? Why are we, why are we putting each other on the spot? Man, on Sunday morning, standing up before 300 people and quoting these passages of Scripture. 
Because that's a weapon. That's a tool. This is what we're hiding in our hearts so that we're able to combat Satan and we're able to combat the persecution. We're able to combat the suffering that comes our way. And if we're not feeding on the word and if we're not saturating our mind with the word and if we're not memorizing the word, then we're not going to be equipped to be able to deal with the suffering and the persecution that come our way. And so what Peter's trying to help us understand is the only way to live better and not bitter is to embrace the fact that we need Jesus's thoughts. We need to be able to have his mind. We need to have his insight into the things that we face. And in order to do that, we have to be mentally prepared for when the, the, the strikes and when the suffering and when the persecution comes. And I want you to know, being a member of Oak Ridge Baptist Church, if you don't take advantage of the offerings that we have, we have ABF classes and we have discipleship classes. I bragged a couple of weeks ago on our team that took the responsibility to lead our, our apologetics classes on for the last two semesters. If you've not taken advantage of that, if you're not taking advantage of Wednesday night, you're here so obvious that you are. If you're not taking advantages of the ladies' retreats and the men's retreats and the things that we're doing that are trying to help us be equipped to be able to leave, uh, live that legacy and to deal with the persecution and the suffering, then all I can say to people is shame on you. I mean, we've got great teachers and we have great opportunities and we have great challenges that we put out there for people to be able to take advantage of. And I need you to help me get that message out there to those that are part of our congregation. We're doing everything that we can to equip you to be able to deal with the suffering and the persecution that's coming. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is to be able to have the mind of Christ. And so a preparation that equips us to endure suffering, what we have to do is we have to arm ourselves with the same purpose, with the same thoughts, with the same understanding of Jesus Christ. And the way that we do that is we arm ourselves with the word of God. Therefore, since Christ has suffered, verse one, in the flesh, arm yourself with the same purpose that he has, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So a preparation that equips us to endure suffering is the word of God, but it also, this preparation, it helps to arm us with the desire to stop sinning. The way that we're going to deal with persecution, the way that we're going to deal with suffering is to arm ourselves so that we lose that desire for sinning so that when we face this persecution, what does our passage of scripture from last year say? Anybody remember about that? It said, be sure and live for God so that those that choose to persecute you, what will happen? They'll be put to shame. Why? Because you're living out your faith. You're living the things that you said you would. That's how a great way for us to be able to defend our, safe, our faith. So a way to prepare ourselves to make sure that we're ready to deal with persecution and suffering is arm yourself with the desire to stop sinning. Now, I believe each and every one of us tonight would agree with this statement. I know that I'm saved. However, this idea of never sinning, that's something that just kind of scares me just a little bit, right? I don't want to sin. I wish that I didn't sin, but I still have these struggles on a daily basis. I have these struggles with this idea of sin. And when we see a verse like this that says, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, we begin to struggle. And we're like, well, wait a minute. I haven't ceased from that. I've not gotten totally on top of that. Now, this word ceased, if we understand what it means there, it gives us a better understanding into this verse. Pao is the Greek word that we find there, and it literally means to refrain or to pause or to leave off. And then it's followed by the genitive or what it is that we're leaving off. 
It's a word that's used in the Old Testament in Joshua chapter 7 and verse 26. You remember the children of Israel have gone in and they've taken Jericho. And God says, don't take anything with you whatsoever. And Achan decides, well, I'm just going to take a little bit of gold and a little bit of things. And I'm going to hide it in my tent. Nobody will ever miss that. And as a result of that, they suffer defeat to the little small town of Ai. And so Moses is like, God, what's up? And he's like, there's sin in the camp. There's things that shouldn't be there. And so in Joshua chapter 7 and verse 26, after they deal with the situation and, and, and Achan is stoned, it says they raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day. And the Lord, pao, the Lord ceased. The Lord turned from what turned, what happened? The Lord, he refrained from the fierceness of his anger. And that's what this word in this passage of scripture that we're dealing with tonight. If you want to arm yourself with the same purpose, if you want to arm yourself with the same thoughts and the same resolve and the same mind of Jesus Christ, then get into the word of God. As you memorize the word of God, as you digest the word of God, as you think on the word of God, what it begins to do is it begins to create in you a desire not to want to sin, not to follow through with those things. And you may not be able to cease 100 percent those things that you're tempted to do, but you'll have a greater inclination to want and desire to do that if you'll be in the word of God. So in other words, what we need to be doing or what we need to be concentrating on is that when we're in the word of God is it gives us the ability to mentally deal with the suffering. I'm in the word of God. I'm dealing with suffering. I'm dealing with persecution. But as I'm dealing with the Holy Spirit is bringing these thoughts back to my mind. The Holy Spirit is saying, you know, you or excuse me. Satan is saying, hey, you really ought to be doing these things. And you're going, no, I know I'm supposed to be living a legacy. And I want to live a legacy, but in my power, I'm starting to give in to what Satan is doing. But then we start quoting scripture. Not that I've already obtained it, not that I've already reached it, not that I've already gotten to that point. But one thing I want to do, I want to press forward. Satan, I don't want to deal with that anymore. And suddenly we engage our mind into this battle. And when we gain, engage our mind into this battle, he gives us the strength to stand up against those temptations and the things that God's doing there. So living in the word prepares us mentally for suffering. And then we have this filling of the Holy Spirit that prepares us spiritually for the suffering and the persecution. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. Instead... What you ought to be drunk with, what you ought to be filled up with, what you ought to be controlled with is be controlled by the Holy Spirit. In other words, at the moment of my salvation, I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The moment I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, that is the gift of promise that I've given. That's That's the earnest payment that we understand from the book of Ephesians chapter one. We're given the Holy Spirit. But how much we concentrate on the things of God and how much we think on the things of God, that will determine how much control that the Holy Spirit has in our life. And so when I come to God for the filling, when I come to God, I want to be filled more with you, God, than I'm filled with other things in my life. God, I want you to have more control than anything else that's controlling me in my life. Show me what needs to be out of my life so that I can live full in your life because I want to do this thing right. 
I want to be able to deal with the suffering. I want to be able to deal with the persecution. I want to be able to deal with these temptations. I don't want to turn to those things. I want to turn away with those things. And in those moments, God begins to show us things that aren't right in our life and the things that we shouldn't be doing. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says, well, then if you'll confess those things, then God's faithful and just to forgive you of those things and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He cleanses you from those mistakes. He cleanses you from those sins, not for salvation. That's already been established. If we confess with our mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is talking to Christians as we're on that daily walk, that daily journey of equipping ourselves to be able to live the way that God, we confess those mistakes. We, we confess those failures and we allow the Holy spirit to fill us so that we can take a pause from sin so that we can refrain from sinning, so that we can cease to going down that path that we're so often tempted to do. And so what Peter's teaching us in these verses is if you're going to be prepared for suffering, you're going to have to have the same thought Jesus had towards sin. You're going to have to keep yourself clean before God, because by keeping yourself clean before God, then you keep yourself in fellowship with God. And when you keep yourself in fellowship with God, you keep yourself in communication with God. And then you continue to have this ability and strength to be able to overcome these things. This fellowship with God will see you through the persecution. And so a preparation that equips us to endure suffering. It involves being in the word of God, understanding the word of God, memorizing the word of God. And then it involves us allowing the Holy Spirit to show us those things that shouldn't be in our life so that we're able to follow his guidance and cease from sinning that so often defeats us or keeps us from living victoriously. The second thing that he teaches us in this passage of scripture is the motivation that equips us to endure suffering. The motivation. We have this preparation, these things that we can be doing, but what motivates me to do these things? What's the motivation behind why I should be putting into practice these things that I ought to be doing? Let's go back to our passage in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh... No longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Now, you and, all know, you and I know because of our study, let's say, in James chapter 4, he talks about how that our life is a vapor. It's just here for a moment. We, I don't care how old you are that, that are in the, in, the, in the congregation tonight or out on Facebook Live. We don't all, all, none of us have a long time to live. In the grand scope of eternity, we don't have a long time to live. And so what Peter is trying to get us, uh, get across to us is what Moses talked to us about in his Psalm, Psalm 90. Take your Bibles and turn over to Psalm 90. Something that, that kind of as we get older, we come, become more and more cognizant of and more and more with the understanding. Psalm 90, we believe Moses wrote this about 1440 B.C., In the first two verses of Psalm 90, he's emphasizing the eternal nature of God. In verses 3 through 6, he he speaks specifically about the fragile nature of humanity. 7 and 8, he emphasizes our sinful nature and our, our shortcomings to a perfect God. And then in 9 through 12, Moses stresses how short life is when we compare it to God's eternal nature. So we're serving this eternal God and we've been given life here on this earth. But in comparison to his eternity or his eternal being, man, this life is really, really small. Look at what he says in Psalm 90 and verse 9. 
He says, for all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow for soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. So when you take that combined with what Peter is talking to us about in 1 Peter chapter 4, it doesn't matter where we are on this journey called life. I believe all of us that are Christians, all of us that are saved, all of us that have that relationship with Christ, we, we understand that we've lived long enough for the lust of the flesh. Whenever it was that we got saved, whenever we came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we understand that that wasn't soon enough once we come to that understanding. Well, once we get saved, it's kind of like we're like, why didn't I do that sooner? Well, why did I wait so long? I, I waited this long. How much time have I wasted not to be able to live for God here on this earth instead of doing it earlier? So why? Because we've come to the understanding now of what it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what motivates us to persevere, what motivates us to deal with suffering, what motivates us to deal with, deal with, uh, with, with persecution and not give in to those things is my actions that were in the past. If we need any motivation as to why we should live out our life the way that Peter's talking about, it's what we were saved from. In essence, that's what he's talking about. Look at verse three. He says, for the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles. Whatever you did in your past, whatever time, whatever you were participating in before your relationship with Jesus Christ, that was enough. That was ample time. Whatever it was, you were saved from that. And whatever you participated in, that, that was enough to participate in. Okay. For this time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentile, having pursued of course of sensuality, having pursued lust, having pursued drunkenness, having pursued carousing, having pursued drinking parties and abominable idolatries. In other words, if you want a good reason to live better and not bitter when it comes to persecution, just remember what it was like before you were saved. Remember what it was that Christ saved you from. I think all of us would say the best thing that we can say about sin is ultimately it was just a waste of our time. It was, it was a waste of us not living in the fullness and the goodness of what God had in store for us. I, I can't tell you how many times that I, I visit with people and, 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 and they finally wake up to this relationship with Christ and they, they regretfully say, I just wasted so many years. Uh, there's just so many years I, I could have been working for Christ. I could have been making a difference. Man, if I would have just done this earlier, my kids, maybe they would have been exposed to Christ at a different age and things would be different in their life. And so if you're looking for motivation to endure in times of suffering, just consider your actions of the past. Consider how God forgave you of those things that he didn't have to, but he was willing to because of his vicarious death on the cross. I think sometimes often as preachers, in an attempt to help people understand their need for salvation and not needing to wait, we'll say something like, well, you need to get right with God because you might die. 
James tells us our life is like a vapor. I was visiting with a man today, and, and, and he was struggling with this, and he said, I'm just not sure I'm ready. And I said, well, understand, the Bible tells us you have no guarantee of tomorrow. That our life is like a vapor. It's here for a moment. It's gone. I can't promise you that tomorrow you'll have this opportunity. What are you going to do with this salvation today? But I don't know if what maybe as preachers we might also ought to say to those of us that are saved. Make sure you're doing what God wants you to do today because you might live for tomorrow. You might just happen to be here tomorrow. You, You might make it another day. So why don't you make sure and live today in case you live tomorrow so that you can continue to make a difference for him. So what can motivate you? What can motivate me? What can help me stay focused on going forward? My actions in the past. Secondly, my accusations in the present. Here's something we don't think about this in this context, but listen to what he says. He says, for the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Verse four, in all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation and they maligned you. Have you never, have you ever noticed or, or been around people that aren't saved that, that really they, they don't see what's so bad about wrecking your life with, with, with alcoholism or drugs or, or participating in, in things that are outside what we understand God would have us to do. That, that's kind of really the cool thing to do. I mean, it's kind of great to, to, to wake up Saturday morning, and not really know what you did on Friday. Now that's really having a good time and they don't think twice about it. But let one of us that ran in that circle get saved and not do that anymore. And suddenly we're kind of weird. We're kind of messed up. You mean you you mean you don't want to do things? You you don't want to not know what you did the night before? You, you, You want to get up the next morning sick and not able to function? What's wrong with you? And you're like, me? I've woken up to fact that's not really the way that I want to live my life anymore. I want to live it in a different. Let, 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 a, let, a, let, a, let someone get sober. Let an immoral person become pure. Those people think you're crazy. And they're going to say things like, I don't understand why you're not running with us and doing the same thing you used to do. That just doesn't make sense. And in that moment, you should be encouraged. At that moment, you can say, I'm actually living out what I said I want to live out when I accepted Christ as my Savior. I just didn't want to get out of hell free. I wanted to live for Christ on this earth. And people are beginning to recognize that. So when people begin to malign us because we're living for God, when people begin to persecute us, we're living. A lot of times we want to stick our head in the sand and say, woe is me. I can't believe this is happening. Why not let that be an encouragement to us to say, man, I'm actually living the right way. I'm actually living the way that God would want me to do. And I'm making a difference. I'm showing it to other people. When your righteousness is not amazing and unrighteous person, you're probably not living it out the way that God would want you to live it out. Because when you get serious about living for God, your work associates, your your team members, your neighbors, your friends, if they're not saved and you've left them to do what God would have you do, they're probably going to say ugly things about you. They're probably going to malign you. They're probably not going to have good things to say because you've chosen to leave them and follow this path 
of God. And Peter's saying to let those accusations, let those be a motivation to you to continue doing what you're doing. And then finally, he says, my accounting in the future should motivate me to live the way that God would want me to in the midst of persecution and suffering. He says, these that malign you, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. In other words, when you live the way that you're supposed to in the midst of suffering, when you live the way that you're supposed to in the midst of persecution, that testimony, that, that outward showing that you've accepted what it is that Christ wanted to do in your life, it preaches to them that there's something different about this Jesus. It preaches to them that they too can have that same hope and that same assurance and that same goodness in them that you have. Now, they may not accept it, and they're going to have to give an account for not accepting that. They may not choose to have that in their life, but it's not because you didn't live the way that you were supposed to. It's not because you didn't stand for what you were supposed to. It's not because you didn't do the things that you remembered that you were, you were saved from and you don't want to return back to that. And as a result of that, then there's this accounting that's going to take place. They're going to be held accountable for what they did with the story of Jesus Christ. And you're going to be held accountable with what you did with your salvation. And that should motivate us. And I'm, I'm careful on this. I, I, I was raised in a tradition where a lot of times we talked about the wrath of God and we talked about the anger of God and we talked about the displeasure of God and, and we were scared into trying to live for the right reasons. I don't want my kids to live right because they're afraid of me. I want them to live right because they love me so much that they want to follow in that. And I think that's what God wants from us. But whether it scares us or not, the, the fact of the matter is we are going to stand before a righteous God. We are going to stand before a just God that willingly went to the cross and suffered once and for all so that you and I could have eternal life. And we're going to give an account for what we did with that salvation. What did we live with that salvation how did we interact with others as a result of that salvation? What did it do in our life as a result of that? Not so we can go to heaven or not go to heaven. We were saved once and for all because of what Jesus Christ did for us. But we're going to be held accountable for what we did with that salvation as we lived here on this earth, especially when it comes to the area of persecution and suffering as a result of that. And do we suffer like those people that are on the other side of the world suffer for being Christians? They absolutely not. But I've said it over and over. Whatever suffering and persecution you're receiving in your home, in your job, with your friends, that's your persecution and suffering. That's all that you know at this moment. And how much less are we likely to live it out if we were to face what other people are facing on the other side of the world? If we won't deal it with what we're facing with here today. So Peter said, I want you to be equipped. I want you to have the skill set. I want you to have the ability to be able to live out this way so that you can survive, so that you can, so that you can deal with these situations, so that when you find yourself, you can have victory in the midst of suffering and persecution. Why? So that we'll live better and not bitter when we face those difficult times. But ultimately, we're the only ones that can make that choice as to which one we're going to be able to choose. All right, so I'm going to give you a little insight, and then we're going to have prayer and be dismissed. We're preaching through this series of messages about living on mission, right? We're talking about how that God's called us, what our message is, 
uh, what, our, what our method to be able to share in these things. And this coming Sunday, we're going to finish up that sermon series. And we're going to talk about that one person. That one person. You remember this past week I talked to you about on Sunday night. I talked about how that if you took all of the people in the three most populous zip codes where Oak Ridge Baptist Church is located. And you took all of our members that live in those zip codes. Then we've accounted for 1.5% of all the families that are in those three zip codes. And if we, we parse that down and said only 25% of those have a relationship. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna say 75% of those have a relationship with Christ. We're just going to worry about 25% of those. In just 77386, that means there's 3,000 homes in that zip code that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 3,000. There's 182 of our members in that zip code. That means there's like 16.8 houses that we have the opportunity to possibly reach for Christ. So this week we're going to deal with, this weekend we're going to deal with, so who's your one? Who's your one? Not one zip code. Not one household. Who's your one person that you would be willing to ask God to put on your heart and to pray for and to be prepared that when the opportunity arises, that you could share with them how the goodness of God is intersected with your life, that they could have the same hope and assurance of eternal life that you have. And then will you make a commitment that until that one person is saved, you're going to continue to pray for them and you're going to continue to look for opportunities to share Christ with them for that one person. Not one zip code, not one household, but that one individual person. And this Sunday, when we come together, there's going to be some things here for all of our members, for everybody that walks through the door to use to concentrate on that one. And then that's going to carry over to our Easter service. And it's going to be a part of something that we have at Easter as well. Okay. So you've kind of got an insight into that. So you can begin praying and you can be thinking about that one person that you're going to ask God to use you to help them come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and how that's going to come together. Will you do that for me this week? You'll be ready. And so when we introduce what we're doing Sunday, you guys will be the first ones to jump up there and respond, right? Right? All of you will have the verse ready. I can call on anybody, right? Don't look down. Look up here. It's going to be okay. We're going to get through it. I promise you. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time you've given us to be able to study your word. And I pray uh, that uh, we'll not just be hearers of it, that we'll be doers. Father, that we'll choose to apply things into our life. I pray for those of us that are struggling with being in the word and memorizing the word that you just create a hunger in us so that we'll just continue to strive to understand your thoughts and your ways through this amazing, amazing story that you've given us in the Bible. And then I pray that we'll share that with others every opportunity that we get. Father, we thank you for our church and we thank you for the privilege that we have to have the buildings we have and the, and the people that we have that we can come together and worship together and have these times Father, I thank you for the privilege that you give me to be the pastor, and I pray that together we'll sharpen each other and we can be everything that we can possibly be for you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. 
Amen. Thank you for being here tonight.